fuck. <laughs> the first thing Lindsay hears when she opens the file, fuck. <laughs> I, I swear to God, one of these times we need to have like a behind the scenes co- a podcast with Lindsay where she just tells us how awful it is to edit all of our material. <laughs> the thing is, she's actually getting busy now with people who are actually <laughs> like people. legitimate people. Yeah. Yeah. And we're sitting here bum fucking around in her ears. Like no. just <laughs> truly, truly. <laughs> So we were just talking about something interesting before we hit record, which is the entity in this room. Yeah. Sarah has a ghost. I I have something. Let me, let me give some context to our audience because I know they're captivated already. That hooked them. I think you don't have a ghost. You're just perimenopausal. (sighs) Fuck. That last ovary is given out. You know what I mean? It's, it's been, It's been trying to power through, but it's finally like, I'm out, dog. Good luck on your medicine. You know what I mean? Like, just. <laughs> no, I think you have a ghost. I think you have a ghost. That's why Sarah's wearing a pink, a pink uh, tank top today in the middle of winter in fucking Alaska where she lives. Right. It's a, I prefer to call it a wife pleaser, but yeah, it's. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no. So context. So I live in the bowels of Wisconsin. It's 20 degrees outside. It's awful. So when you turn on the heat downstairs, this office becomes a sweltering nightmare. And I I said to Larry, I was like, I saged my house. I take like put salt around the windows and the doors. Like I did like, you know, the classic things. Classic things. Yeah. Still hotter than two rats fucking in a wool sock. You know what I'm saying? Like just awful. So you said I think there's an entity from the fifth circle of hell. Mm-hmm. And I immediately subscribed to that because that's the weight that I put into your advice. <laughs> yeah. You need a shaman is what you need. I do. Mm-hmm. Does your smoking hot wife do any kind of services like that? Or does she typically just stay away from shit like that? Does she even believe in that? Listen, it, it would probably send our listeners running into the woods if they knew that we are actually Ashley and I are both trained shaman. Oh my God. Yeah. There was a, there was an element of Peruvian shamanism in our original education, our four year education at the Helix training program in New York, which I've often described as being is like having gone to Hogwarts, mm. not like, like a week long series. No, we did four years of shamanism, Peruvian shaman. Oh my God. I had no idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm still discovering new things about you. Okay. So what are your costs to fly up here? <laughs> Let's talk numbers, Larry. <laughs> I'm bringing the whole brood. Everyone's coming. <laughs> I would hope so. Guess what? This is also my guest bedroom, so you can get real intimate with <laughs> whatever is here, making it so hot. Mm, yeah. Well, one day that wall is just going to open up, like the the portal in the hell <laughs> is going to open up, and you have a choice to make: do I do I jump or do I fight it? 
What do you think? Like, like knowing me as you know me now, what would you advise? I would say don't jump so that you could tell stories about it later. Oh, good call. Good call. Let's monetize it. Let's, you know, absolutely monetize. <laughs> Sarah worked at a zoo, a, a quote unquote zoo, someplace where I worked. At, no, so I yeah, I worked at a dog kennel that had a monkey. <laughs> like, it's even worse than like working at a zoo because they had no fucking business with a monkey, but they had one. And this fucking thing ran the place. If it, listen, if anything crawled out of that fucking portal, it was that fucking monkey. You know what I'm saying? Like that thing was a nightmare. So w- what I was saying to Lair was that what a lot of people don't understand and what I didn't understand when I was 16 and taking this fucking job is that female monkeys have periods. Okay. And when they have periods and they don't fucking like you, they take their giant fucking period clots and huck them at you. Okay. <laughs> I'm fucking 16. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. And this fucking, I'm sitting there scrubbing period smears off the walls of this goddamn cage while this thing is just pelting me, pelting me from its other cage <laughs> period clots and other things. It doesn't, it doesn't, we hear the classic stories and see them on, on the internet of, of monkey curling the feces. I, they'll, apparently they'll use anything. Anything, anything, truly anything, 100%. And listen, female monkeys, they're resourceful. Honestly, I respect it because if I could have gone around flinging my period clots at people I didn't fucking like, I would have. I 100% would have. It's the ultimate honesty and transparency. This is exactly how I feel about you and your presence here. Thank you. You Yeah, I remember when I was in fifth grade, we went to Lion Country Safari down in Florida. And I've told you this story. Yeah. And we came down to the monkey enclosure. They they were in a in a in an enclosure that was sort of open air, and they opened up on us when they oh my god all got out. Yes. They opened <laughs> us with feces and rocks, and I, I took I did I got down I ran towards the monkeys and dove and behind the wall, and as I turned to watch my classmates try to make it back to the. <laughs> the door it was your own personal all quiet on the western front like just hamburger hill <laughs> can't even see the things i've seen honestly this might be the most unhinged intro to our podcast mm-hmm. of all time and i blame the fact that we were so off brand last time we recorded it's just yeah, no, I was like William Defoe at the end of Platoon. Those <laughs> <laughs> monkeys were screaming. <laughs> Just. <laughs> what, the, what is wrong with us? Oh, no. It was so vivid. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta pull this together. Welcome back to another episode of <laughs> Therapist. <laughs> I'm here with an actual licensed therapist. <laughs>
for long. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I mean, Meredith Lair Torrent, licensed marriage and family therapist. And we are going to talk about befriending the self. <laughs> yeah. So the idea being how many relationship issues, and I think we touched upon this on our last episode, but how many relationship issues are individual issues? And then how do you help someone improve themselves with the goal of also improving their relationship? You know, the the old adages, and I shared this last time, I think, is that uh, good couples therapy ends up in two good individual therapists, um, mm-hmm. you know, through the discovery that happens within couples therapy, find that there are some, some things within them that they've brought to the table that perhaps need to look at. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know what that percentage is, but the hold and the construct of the work that I do and, and the work that I offer in the practice of love the book is less about the stuff that couples struggle with on the surface, money, kids, sex, you name it, all the top 10 things that send people running to the couple's therapist and more about dropping below the waterline on not what we're fighting about, but what, what we're actually fighting for within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that that category of, was I loved? Was I safe? Was I enough? And did I matter? That's a great place to start. Mm -hmm. Now it is. And people have heard me say this a bunch who've listened that that's what we're actually fighting over. Mm -hmm. I'm not fighting over necessarily the money. It's how that thing is making me feel. And it's probably making me feel something Maybe I haven't felt like I was enough. Maybe I didn't feel like I mattered. And so now that's what's, that's what's catalyzing the zeal in this, in this effort and this fight that I have with you. Mm. Befriending the self looks like looking at these wounds that we have within ourselves and being able to go internally as opposed to externally for once. Mm. I say confronting, it might be maybe a misnomer, wrong word to use, but really coming full up on this is the thing that I've been fighting for in my life large. And so what I'll be with the individuals is I'll say like, look, let's pull up to the 60,000 foot view of your, the timeline of your life and look at the different relationships you've had, the things that have happened, the things that haven't happened. And let's notice what, mm-hmm. what's there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh mm-hmm. shit, I didn't feel like I mattered all the way back mm-hmm. to the beginning. Revelatory. When they, they, they see the symmetry, mm-hmm. so it's there if you, if you know how to mm-hmm. look for it. That, that was exactly my experience of that revelation of being like, it, it's not necessarily like woundings that happened in my relationship. It's the woundings I brought into my relationship that are now affecting my relationship. And same for Corey, you know, the woundings that he brought in that now we're just triggering one another based on these things we've felt throughout our life as kids and then beyond of not mattering, not being enough or not being loved or whatever, realizing that, okay, let's, let's take a deep, difficult look at that and understand, you know, what do we need to heal so that, and also what do we need to understand about one another's traumas so that we can avoid that like triggering. Cause I, I think that's important too. Like it's not just about befriending the self and healing yourself. It's also understanding where your partner needs to heal and choosing to use one of your practices, not to trigger that shit or just to be aware of it or, you know, show compassion to it. That last part showing compassion. I, I don't know that you can, 
you can totally opt out of triggering them. You're probably going to. The vulnerability of a love relationship, the, the vulnerability of a love relationship will absolutely trigger those core wounds and probably should. And so really what we're in a mate is not just someone who will recapitulate those childhood wounds, but someone who can actually hold space for the healing. Not that they're supposed to heal us, but that they can stand there in the wind with us, hold our hand and say, it's going to be okay. I'm here with you. I got your back. Uh, very often, what happens because people are so caught up in the tumult of what's on top uh, on the surface of fighting about not what we're fighting for. There's mm-hmm. a difference. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you have a lot of experience as a therapist. Do you... When when a couple comes in and you kind of, you know, they start talking to you about the thing that's going wrong, do you get these like inclinations of like, oh, I'm pretty sure this is the thing that happened when they were a kid or this is the thing that they've experienced in the past? Like, how does that look for you? You know, it it, it presents itself uh, in various ways. You'll just kind of, there'll be a couple of eyebrow raisers, but really what I'll do is I'll, I go right as the crow flies on some of it and I'll say, okay, guys, real quick. And I've said that, I may have said this before. I'm going to ask you these four questions. And I ask those four questions. I'll say, try not to think about it. Just feel about these questions when I say them. Were you loved? Were you safe? Were you enough? Did you matter? And very often, you'll see someone get an emotional hitch, right? They'll, they'll, they'll catch one or more of those. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, okay, I already, I got one of them. At least I got 50% <laughs> of the back. I know what you're fighting for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that is like a glass bottom boat, mm-hmm. that question. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, why? Mm-hmm. But I can already their partner um, a lot to work with because I know you feel like you're dealing with the protector part, and that's what you're that's what you're fighting with. But there's a part standing behind him or her that is the wounded child, and they're holding the sense of I was never loved, or I'm not safe mm-hmm. in the world, or I don't matter. Mm-hmm. I'm not very often feel a lot of compassion for that aspect of self, and have a but have a very difficult time for withholding compassion for the the parts of us that are charged mm-hmm. with protecting mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the first time you relayed those things to me of like, mm-hmm. did you feel like you were enough? Did you feel like you mattered? Were you safe? Were you, you know, and I remember like immediately it put me in a place of like, holy fuck, somebody just asked four questions that summed up my trauma in one way or another, you know, like it didn't matter the kind of trauma that was how it made me feel. And that was what I was bringing to everything I was doing. And it also opened my eyes because I had never once at up to that point in my relationship asked myself, did Corey feel that way? You know, like, did he feel like he was loved and that he mattered and that he was safe and that he was enough? Like, I had never had that conversation with myself and I had never put that conversation around the context of my relationship to be like, well, now I know why he's such a fucking dick. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because he's protecting himself. I mean, I joke, but like, truly, he's protecting himself because... That was the only way he got attention was being a dick, you know, like, and he didn't know how to get it any other way because he wasn't, he didn't matter in that context of his life outside of you've created friction. Yeah. So Dr. Ross Green, um, in his book, he said, when he was talking about kids, he said, you know, we we treat kids differently, right? The kid that is really trying hard to be a dick. And not meet the demand. We treat that kid a particular way. We we treat the kid, the, the, that same kid, if we look upon that child as, you know, 
just really trying hard, but not doesn't have the skill sets yet to make it to the thing we're trying mm-hmm. to get them to mm-hmm. very differently. And I didn't explain that very well, but your narrative about mm-hmm. him shifted, mm-hmm. right? Like he's for a different reason. And so I can, I can have compassion for that plight. Whereas before it was just like, you're being yeah, 100%. You, you had, you just have more context. You have, you know, it, and for, for me personally, it made me love him in a different way. You know, like not mm-hmm. as in like my love for him changed, but I would say it, it deepened and expanded because now I had this like knowledge to point to where I was like, okay, I, I get it. It allowed me to sort of change the way we operated, but he did the same thing and continues to do the same thing. Cause you know, he's the good one. As much as I talk shit about him, he's the good one. Yeah. Course. Right. Seen it. Yeah. <laughs> the proof is there. We we have one hundred percent video. But it, we're on topic because we were talking about befriending the self. Right. And I've turned it into how I use my knowledge about myself to help other people, which I think is indicative of the person I am and the work I need to do. <laughs> but <laughs> remember last week how we talked about how I never chose myself? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Very easy to get off topic because that's a, that's an interesting. Those questions are so compelling, and you had such a visceral response to them, and learned so much. So mm-hmm. we don't often have, mm-hmm. but those four questions do offer us that opportunity to turn back towards ourselves as ourselves as you did, and learn something. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay. So this is the gap I have to ford. This is this is my growing edge. I didn't see it before. Mm-hmm. Process of befriending the self. Many will see the work ahead of them. Many mm-hmm. will see that timeline that I talked about and they'll say, mm-hmm. fuck that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know that I can, I don't know if I can do that work. Um, when mm-hmm. we get below, below the surface and see there, we're often hit when we start our personal work, when we peer behind those curtains or below that surface and we're, we are initially hit often with a, just a flood of negativity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like the the work ahead, the bloody the the, the growing edge, the bloody edge, as we like to say. Mm-hmm. And people often turn away, and so our mm-hmm. society, our culture is built on don't look at that, mm-hmm. other than how you actually feel. Pop psychology mm-hmm. is is built on here's how to not feel how you actually feel. You know, the people are making millions trying to help people do exactly the opposite of what they need to do, which is learn to feel their feelings pathologized our feelings in this culture and people love it five books on amazon right now and they're all about how not to feel how you actually feel interesting interesting Don't give a fuck you know david goggins is telling you just work harder the, the the seven habits of highly successful people it's like here's how to do some shit that's gonna hopefully make you more organized and not feel how you feel mm. all of those books that are on there and i've had i'm actually doing a i had to do a, a market research for for my next book they're all books on how not to feel how you actually feel and so we've drunk the kool-aid mm, on this mm-hmm. by and large stoicism is popular as it is and all the books that are being sold around stoicism and marcus Aurelius. i think that i think the philosophies are amazing they're great for moving through different aspects of your life in the relative world but they do nothing for us with respect to how do i navigate what's going on inside here mm-hmm. and this is a Mm-hmm. in our culture mm-hmm. i never thought about it that way but you're 100 right it's always about i'm disgusted with how right you are 
on a regular basis. <laughs> Just ask me, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's true. Cause I, and I read some of them because I'm like, uh, this is how I become a better businesswoman. This is how I run my business better. This is how I do this stuff. But you're right. It's absolutely all about taking who you are as a person and shoving that down as far as you can. And then just filling that void with other things when really all you're doing is just making it worse. You're not, you're not learning yourself. Where do you start? Like, where do you start with a person who's not felt, but they're willing to do the work? Well, I tell them it's going to be a bumpy ride. You should wear a cup, get a mouthpiece and a helmet. (laughs) Friending the self is no fucking joke. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because you're going to feel get the you know, and they'll say, I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel this. And I'm like, I know, but, mm-hmm. and it's been bubbling to the surface, the symptomatic aspects of not being able to love yourself or love the person that you're with or love your job or get the thing that you want to get. That's all happening because you can't turn and face yourself. It's a big fucking deal, but nobody wants to do it because it's, it, it's, it's initially can be quite painful. Um, we are constantly looking for external validation and you know, the, some of the, the, the people that need my help the most are often the people who don't go, come for it because they have millions of dollars. They have reached the pinnacle of success in our capitalistic society. And so they feel like in our tool that they don't have any more work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Drop out of your head and into your feelings. What do you feel? And I'll say to people, do you think about your feelings or do you feel about your feelings? Mm-hmm. And very often they go, I, th- I think about them. I try to think my way out of them. Exactly. Yeah. And so feeling happens body, right? And so it's often a course of like, okay, I'm going to say it again. Let's take a breath and, and drop into our bodies and tell me where you feel it in your body. And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, and they roll their eyes. And I go, I know. I know because we're so schooled to look externally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Outside of ourselves that we never come back to the body and, and we never come back to our feelings. And that's where it's all actually happening and we're missing it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. I I remember that question. I remember like, where are you feeling this? What is like, what's happening in your body? And you're like, can you stop please? Because I <laughs> don't want to know that my chest is tight and my stomach feels nauseous and I, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I don't want that. What I want is you to put a happy little bow on me and send me out into the real world, you know, but obviously that's not how it works. One of your biggest assets is one of your, could be one of your biggest problems is you're so fucking smart. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so it can become very cerebral. Have will often have it. I'm not saying you do, but they will often have a hard time. It seems like news that I should go below the neck. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a world of your, your life is happening in there. Mm-hmm. If you have the the guts to venture below the neck and to, to feel what's going on in there. And that's where real connection happens, both with yourself, with the people who are close to you. What does it look like in that process of healing yourself? Because I imagine that as you start digging into that stuff, I don't imagine, I know, but as you start digging into that stuff, you start to get really raw, right? Now you're open, now you're feeling and you're like, fuck, this is overwhelming. How do you navigate that? How do you navigate healing while you're raw? Mm -hmm. Well, first and foremost, I doubled down again and again in the beginning of the process that you have everything within you to heal yourself. I'm merely a guide, right? Mm -hmm. I'm no oracle you know, the smartest person in the world on this thing. I'm not certainly not smarter than you on you, but I am a guide to bring you back to self 
and you already have everything inside to heal yourself. Mm. And that's, that's about one. People don't often feel it or believe it um, is they cascade into their own feelings. Now we double down on mindfulness mm. because practice of mindfulness. And I know that I speak this one ad nauseum. Mindfulness has this way when practiced properly, it brings us to the bank of the river of our feelings, right? There's an old Buddhist image of a man or a woman standing on a bridge overlooking a body of water. Mm -hmm. And it's really the embodiment in that image of mindfulness, right? The, The bridge is mindfulness. You're standing, you're not in the water. You're standing over it. You're looking at it. You're close to it. You can see it. You can smell it. The water, that's your emotionality. Now, without mindful intervention and without learning to do that, we become a wash in our feelings. We, we get taken down in the current of our emotions. And mm-hmm. so mindfulness allows us to go to that bank, go to that bridge, to stand there and to experience emotionality, to see it, to witness it, to view it, but not get lost in it. Mm-hmm. So practice one has to be mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bring people to that, I require that they find some version of stillness every single day. Mm. Whatever that looks like for them. What does it look like for you out of curiosity? Like, what's your stillness? So I start out every morning with a thought provoking mm. book, you know, some author that has written before me that I think is awesome and amazing in all the ways. And so that'll get me into that part of my brain thinking of those things. And then I go on a walk in the woods. Very lucky we live mm-hmm. next to a beach. We also live next to a, a state park. And so there every morning and we go our separate ways or separate trails mm-hmm. and uh, walk in the woods. You know, the thing I tell people is, is that, so, you know, when you go to the beach, how does it make you feel? It makes me feel amazing. I feel calm. When you go to the woods, how do you feel? It makes me feel amazing. I feel calm. Why do you think? Well, you know, I don't know, because it's so peaceful there. No, it's because the energy of the woods and the energy of the beach are very, very large. Mm-hmm. But it has a way of attuning your energy as a, as a little person as compared, right? You're mm-hmm. smaller than all those trees, than that beach, than that water. Mm-hmm. And so you begin to assimilate when you're there with the trees, if you allow yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do every single day. I drop mm-hmm. into my body as I'm walking and I feel the vibrational energy of what I think is my soul, what I think is God. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I, Right, right. I it it reminds me of the first time I went to Yellowstone, you know, mm-hmm. and I've I've heard this about people like they when you live on the water, you stop realizing how beautiful the water is. When you li- you know, when you live near a forest, you stop realizing. And I I remember I went to Yellowstone National Park and I saw the mountains for the first time and I was like I am on a million year old rock worried about what somebody thinks about me. And, you know, like it just was, it's like, that was like my jolt of perspective that when I came away from that, you could, I could start looking at things the way you do about the things that are around me. I no longer took them for granted. And I could, I call it like taking power from them when you're, you know, what you were doing when you're walking through the woods or walking along the beach or whatever, like it just like charges me in a different way because it made, it makes me realize I'm the thing that matters, right? Like it's not all this other stuff. It's not, you know, it's just me in the woods walking. And I love that. I love that. Well, it makes you turn, as you said, it makes you turn back to yourself and say, I'm, I matter. Right. I'm important here. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of stops that external look. Now, Many people, when they leave the beach or they leave the woods, they're immediately back into what's going on Instagram. 
<laughs> and you know they're they're doing the external thing again. And so what I like to do is have people use that mindful muscle that you did that you were building out there in the woods and bring it into your everyday mm-hmm. and know and you're externally pursuing. And mm-hmm. it's real easy wherever you're feeling suffering, mm-hmm. right? And you begin to feel jealousy or you're getting a sense that I'm not mm-hmm. enough. Any of that. Like you need to take a quick look at that external vision and bring that back to the self. Mm, I love that as like the step one, like step one, start to connect with yourself. Step two, start to take that connection to the rest of your life and, and use it to like heal your relationships, heal your interactions with the world, heal yourself and the things that are happening in there. That's interesting. So then When do you, do you, when you're working with couples, obviously, when do you sort of, you know, transition from the self to the couple, or are you always consistently working on both at the same time? For me, I'm always kind of consistently working on both at the same time. In the book, I described it as sort of like playing Star Star Trek chess. Different levels. Yeah. We have one level of the couple, one level that's one partner, one level that's that partner. And frankly, because I'm in the room, the other level is me. Mm-hmm. And to get people to begin to monitor themselves, I always say this: it's like you know, the, the the couple is only as good as the individuals, and how they show up is really, really mm-hmm. important. So, getting them to show up in the you know the best, most compensated, adult, wise, authentic parts of themselves we can—that's job one. And befriending the self really does mean you turn and look at, and this is a, maybe the second or third step, which is who shows up here. Mm. I think that's the most powerful question any one person can ever ask themselves in any situation is who am I in this moment? Who do I want to be with respect to this experience, to this person? Mm-hmm. Two months, two years, two days down the line. How, how do I want to be able to speak about this experience? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's an incredibly mindful thing to ask and we we actually do uh, get to choose the part of us that shows up and who we want to be have you i mean i imagine like there's times when you're going through this exercise with your couples that it becomes apparent to one member of the couple that my healing can no longer take place if i remain with this person have you experienced mm-hmm. things like that yeah yeah. The downside of healing our episode. <laughs> yeah. That's the one, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, if there is no responsibility taken from one particular one partner, then generally that's where a lot of the work stops. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of where I, I, I punch my tag and, and go because mm-hmm. I, there's not a lot to do here because this is going to be a bucket of symptoms after this point when someone says, yeah, I'm not doing that. And I always tell people, but staying is going to be a thing. And it may mean that you have to revisit why you're here. What are you doing? Holy shit, I'm triggered again. It doesn't seem to matter to this person. And so that's, that's, a, that's a carnival wheel that I don't really want to be a part of. And yeah. so that's where, I, that's where I often fire couples. Interesting. But that's all, you know, to bring it back to how off topic I can get about this, because I'm always deflecting from the self. Like, I imagine when you get to that place that you have befriended yourself, you have been doing the work, it becomes, you now can no longer shut that negativity out. You have like you, there's, you can't stay blind to it anymore, right? By and large, you can't. And so I, you know, I, I don't really have to be the bearer of bad tidings often because people will know mm-hmm. they're not showing up for me. They don't want to do this work. They're choosing to to stay the same. 
you know, change. People ask me, you know, do people really change? And I'm like, they do, but only if the pain of staying the same is, 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 is greater than change, right? Like, so that, that, that pain point has to, they have to see that, that, that if they were to stay the same, that that pain point would be much larger than, than the growth point. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of a long winded way around to saying that like when they see their partner's back walking out the door with their bags, sometimes that pain point goes, okay, that's the point. That's it. Okay. Yep. 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 Right. When people are that far out the door and they've made that decision, it's really hard to come back. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I love the way you put that, you know, the, the, the pain of staying the same has to be, you know, different from the pain of changing. It has to be worse. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, you get couples that are like, no, it would be way worse to be without this person, but then have they really even befriended themselves? Going back to the questions of, am I loved? Do I matter? Am I enough? Am, am I safe? You have to be able to answer those questions for yourself. Well, right. When you've done the work of befriending the self and really come home to the hearth of your own heart, you no longer need that person. Mm-hmm. You want them perhaps, but you don't need them anymore. And that's mm-hmm. a very, very difficult to stand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're in need of somebody. You are, you're in trouble because that's probably the predicate of, of codependence. Mm-hmm. And that's, it, it, it has the, the, the very real possibility of becoming somewhat toxic and mm-hmm. certainly dysfunctional. If you are in a place where I just, I, I, I need you, I need you to feel safe, whole, all of those things. That's not what we're talking about. Mm-mm. It's like, yeah, no, I want you in my life, but I, I, if I have to for self-preservation, I can leave and I will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so interesting the way that we groom. That's probably not the best word because it has a lot of negative connotations, but I'm just thinking about like the way that we grow up. You know, you talk about the, the top 10 books on Amazon being forcing your feelings down, but also like, Everything you digest from teenage to like 25 is all, I, I, I need to have another person in my life. I need to get married. I need to do all of these things. There's nothing that's saying, Hey, get good with yourself first. Cause that's going to be the real key. Well, this tells you, I mean, it's pretty fucking obvious if you ask me, but this tells you how hard it is mm-hmm. and it can feel lonely and it can get lonely because very often, as we talked about in, in a, that episode we did about the, the downside of healing is like people fall off mm-hmm. the relationships that you currently have make no sense. Mm-hmm. So the conversations that you were before very willing to get into, you're like, I don't got time for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it's absolutely to use your book title, a practice of love with yourself to like undo all of this programming that we've had from like the start of our lives, even, even ignoring, you know, traumas inflicted on you by family members, just the stuff we read and the celebrity relationships we're always watching and the movies and the, you know, whatever, like it's always about you know, you are loved. You are not safe. You are not enough. You don't matter until you yes. have these things is essentially 100%. the undercurrent. And so that's why we, and look, some of them feel really good. It's great to have a shit ton of money. It's, it's fucking awesome. That's why we're doing um, this. That's exactly right. People. So <laughs> monetizing this, Jesus, can someone, can someone pick us up? Can someone please pay us? <laughs> The good news is, is that we love ourselves enough to keep doing this. <laughs> I know you do. 100%. Monkeys. That's how we started the show. 
that's how we, and that's how we'll that, end it. We've all gotten into this conversation <laughs> from monkeys. Exactly. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> that's how great we are, though. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, like you said, like, you know, you're told money is important. You're told a partner is important. You're told the house is important and marriage is important and kids are important. But you're never told you're oh, important. I mean, women certainly, I mean, men, we, we get, we certainly get the shit under that stick too, but women really get the shit under that stick, I think. You're not complete. Mm. You have a man. Mm-hmm. And yes, kids. Right. And it's like, nah, all right. of those things, wonderful and no. amazing in all the ways that they are. But man, I'll tell you what, the, one of the reasons I have a job is because people go off in pursuit of those things before they actually pursue themselves. That's really right? profound. This is why I have CEOs of companies who make millions of dollars or they own a company worth millions of dollars. And they're coming to see me kind of like, uh, I made it to the, pro- or they're really famous, we made it to the promised land. And yeah, this I'm, not, I'm still not happy. Yeah. Still not happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause you never, we have never been told to do that work. No. And so that brings us into the, 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 the fourth practice of this, which is, and we skipped over narrative, but you know, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves are really, really important. The stories mm-hmm. we tell about what we need and don't need, but that's choosing ourselves. That's, where we do finally spin on our heels, turn and go, okay, it's maybe an overly used term, but I do need to learn to love myself and all of the parts of me that no one ever claps mm, for, mm, right? Mm, that's really beautiful. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's literally like a survival guide, right? Like when you can love yourself and when you can tell yourself you matter and when you tell yourself you're enough and you're safe and all of those things, like... You can pretty much get through anything as long as you have that foundation for yourself. It's pretty hard to fuck with you if you've got that. And so when someone breaks with you, you may be heartbroken, but Mm -hmm. you're not going to be gutted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, I broke, this person broke up with me, you know, six months ago and I'm still not able to get over it. It's like, I'm going to be sure this is built on faulty foundation. I understand heart is what it is. And I my heart kicked around too. Let me tell you that that healing period is so much faster and easier when you actually are love yourself enough mm-hmm. to know that like, okay, what I needed to learn from that, this is what I got. This is what I don't need when I can move on from that. People who are gutted and continue to be gutted and can't get over it typically don't have a clear and consistent loving relationship with themselves. If they did, then would be painful. It just wouldn't right, be soul right. crushing. I feel like we could easily extend this into a second episode because it's it's so interesting to see all of the ways, you know, loving yourself spider webs through your entire life from not just your personal relationships, but your business relationships, your everything like it all comes together if you don't love yourself and when you do love yourself and you've done that work. Yeah. But, but we're we out of time. time. So I thank you for joining me. We probably shouldn't have laughed about monkey periods as much, but listen, that William Defoe reference, I'm still, I'm going to ride that one to the rest of the week. I think you should. I think you should. I mean, you were, I, let me tell you five star lair today. Okay. Five star lair, just from William Defoe to like some of the profound shit you said in this episode, chef's kiss, chef's kiss. Chef's, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to give phones up for Thank Sarah. You. I appreciate that. You guys, you people, you friends can all follow us on NYM Therapy 
on Instagram, Twitter, mm-hmm. all of it. You can follow Lair directly, Lair Torrent Holistic Therapist on Instagram and elsewhere. You can purchase Lair's book, The Practice of Love, at all major retailers. It's also available on audiobook. And do you want to talk about your retreat? Speaking of loving yourself, there's a good example of... Yeah, yeah. It's practice of love retreat where people can come and uh, get expert yoga led classes uh, every morning and every evening. At the conclusion of, of those yoga sessions, I will be doing a talk every day. We'll be covering one of the practices and taking that out into our day and then coming mm-hmm. back uh, and talking about it later on in the evening. So it'll be this intensive um, retreat in, in, in the Algarve, I guess they call it, in Portugal. It's a beautiful place with beautiful beaches and amazing people. I've heard nothing but good things. Everybody's going to Portugal. Portugal is stunning. Yeah. If I show up in this wife pleaser in front of Ashley, listen, mm-hmm. just be good with yeah. yourself because I'm going to steal her. You know what I mean? Like- <laughs> May 20th through the 26th. Mm-hmm. Details out uh, at my website, LairTorrent.com. There's also a link to it in my link tree at my Instagram account. Oh, are there still spots, plenty of spots available? A few spots available? Oh, great, great. So get your spot if you are interested in going and working with Lair in Portugal. And also, if you have questions, if you have ideas for topics, things like that, you can always email us at notyourmamastherapy at gmail.com. And we aggregate those questions. We answer them on the air. They can turn into topics. So we're always interested to hear what you think and what you're interested in us talking about. So thank you for joining me today. I had a blast. Me too. Me too. Let's do this again in two weeks. Sounds good.